can kick your fancy ales, you can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon, your podcast about the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit strategy battle game by Games Workshop. My name's Jeremy, and I'm here with Travis. Hello, guys. On an episode of Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe, discussing courage. And all its wonderful forms. There are three things we're going to cover today, but there's a lot there. We're going to talk about break tests, we're going to talk about terror, and we're going to talk about other uses of courage. But before that, I just wanted to go into what is courage. So, Travis, can you just describe that for us? Well, courage obviously is a stat that each model in the game uses. It is the last stat of a basic stat line. Basically... Courage is representative of how brave a warrior is, how motivated they are in battle, what they're likely to do and not to do, if they're scared of certain things. And I think the courage mechanic in the game is a very useful one. I think it's very interesting the way we roll for courage in the game when we're required to take it. Basically, what you do is you take two dice, roll them, and add your courage value. If that score equals 10 or more, you successfully pass what we call a courage test. Brilliant. So we've got the courage stats. We've got a number between one and, well, we could go up to 10, but we're not really going to do that. You're not going to get zero, but there are times in the games where you use a courage of zero and you add that number to your two dice and you've got to score 10, equal to 10 or more in order to pass a courage test. Now, I've got a whole bunch of number crunching that I've done here to just go over some of the percentage chances and some of the chances of passing those courage tests. So if for some reason you're at courage zero, you have a 17% or 1 in 6 chance of passing that courage test. That's rough. Mm, That's really rough. (laughs) Then, if you are courage 1, you have a 28%. So, 5 in 18, 10 out of 36 chance, 28%. Which is not bad. For courage 2, you're looking at about a 42% chance of passing a courage test. Courage 3 is about a 58% chance of passing that test. Courage 4 is a 72% chance of passing. Courage 5 is 83% chance of passing. Courage 6 is a 92. Courage 7 is a 97%. And Courage 8 or more is an automatic pass. Okay, so that's just to help out with some numbers there. Now, don't get too reliant on these numbers. They're a rough guide. And you can see that a jump from Courage 2 to 3 or 3 to 4 is quite a good jump. Yeah, they're probably the biggest jumps and probably reason why Courage 2, 3, and 4 are seen the most in the game on a lot of Warriors. Courage 3 being probably the average Courage for most things in the game. Yeah, um, it was and... described in the first edition as being the average Courage for a man. So everything was compared to that. And it's, it gives you just over a 50% chance of passing that Courage test. But don't get hung up on that. The higher your Courage, the better. But we're going to go through lots of ways you can move any situation to your advantage in Courage. I guess we'll start... Yeah, we'll start with basically army lists. So what you can do to improve your courage or to ruin the day of your opponent in army list choice. Now, there's quite a few options here. I think the most go-to option in this regard are Warhorns. Urkenbrand in particular springs to mind for the good side. Basically, Warhorns increase all the courage of your of models on your side of the table by one which is really, really handy. It means all your Courage 3 is Courage 4, all your Courage 5 is Courage 6, which is really handy. Urkenbrand's in a bit of his league of his own. His Warhorn's a little bit special, and he gives you plus two Courage across the board, which is really handy. And Mary, the Shire Mary's got a horn, doesn't he, as well? Yes, as he does, but his horn only affects Hobbits. But for a Hobbit army, that is really, really useful. And the reason why it is, 
is because it doesn't count as a war horn, which means you can take a signal horn from the generic uh, Hobbit archers and boost it up to Courage 5 yeah. on your generic Hobbits. So a simple answer and a very popular one I find at the moment is to get the Warhorn. Now, the way you, you counter that one, I think, is try and kill off that Warhorn bearer as soon as possible. So if you're against the Warhorn guy, go target him. Yeah, if you've got a handy Wraith nearby with a Black Dart, a Sorceress Blast, even well timed, or even just some archers. A couple take... Wargs or some Cavalry that can go hunt him down because they're usually yep. hiding somewhere off on their own. Yes, they are. Flyers also can get to him pretty quick if you have a spare Bat Swarm handy. Yeah, can... Batswarm's a great idea because it's got a surprising amount of attack output and very resilient. Mm. Other ways you can improve your courage are through some upgrades. Some races have the ability to increase their courage through purchasing of an upgrade. To name a few, there are Black Dragons for the Eastern Realms, uh, Warrior of Abrakan for Harad, Galadrim Guard for the Elves, Hearth Guard for Dwarves, and there's a couple of other ones as well which sort of come into a little uh, league of their own. We have the campfire for the three trolls, which is very handy, giving them resistance to magic and plus one courage, as well as the captain of the Black Guard. He gets courage six if a Wraith or Sauron's on the table. Yep, so they're simple options. If you feel that you need some guys of extra courage for whatever reason, they're your guys designated to, we'll talk about this later, but to pass a break test or to charge an enemy, it's worth getting this upgrade quite a bit. It's usually quite affordable, and you can combine it with the Warhorn. So you could use both together if you wanted to, if you had access to that. There's also, I've got Goblin Drum. Do we mention that one? Yeah, Goblin Drum's in sort of this own his own weird spot in this sort of army building, increasing in courage, because he also negs your opponent's courage as well, which we'll get into in a sec. But the thing about the Goblin Drum is it's not limited by range. It is like the Warhorns. It is global, and it is so, 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 so powerful. In addition to the battery roll that it gives you, well worth a pick up, the Goblin Drums. And it's quite hard to get rid of, whereas a Warhorn... I think is a moderate difficulty to get rid of. It's usually just the getting to it's a hard part. The Goblin Drum is usually with the army because it needs to be there to benefit for the, the banner effects. But it's really hard to get rid of because it's a whole battlefield. It's got a couple drummers there. You only need a, one alive to do that. And away you go. Even more so for the Gundabad Black Shield Drum as well because they can pass the drum equipment on to other Black Shields near them. So if you take, a, say, 24 Black Shields and, um, and two of them with the drum, it makes it really hard to get rid of because every black shield can pick up the drum and there's basically 24 guys you need to get rid of to get rid of one useful tool. Definitely. Now, the other one that I want to mention is the shield bearer for the dwarves, which gives you what I think is a unique effect. Yeah, no other model in the game has this. Basically, he allows all dwarves, warriors, and heroes within 12 inches of him to re-roll their courage tests. That's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Rerolling courage tests is... A brilliant idea and it really helps you out so even the the courage of three or four which dwarves are gets really really good at that point yeah your courage for a dwarf with a reroll, like two bites of the cherry at that 72 percent chance you're not failing those very often no you can you can reliably pass our courage test quite well so that's another way to upgrade that and he's a very useful model anyway so no problem taking that some other models that negate courage to make it worse. There's some evil ones, and there is some good ones as well. First one I'm going to say is Ancient Evil. Ancient Evil. Not very many models have the Ancient Evil special rule, but damn, if you take them, you better watch out. Sauron, the Balrog, yep. and Smaug are the ones with Ancient Evil, which is the 18-inch Ball of Death. If you're within 18 inches of one of these models, you're at Neg 1 Courage. That is a huge radius. Yeah, that's that's going to be most of your effective battlefield because a lot of the times you're fighting in a compressed area. 
So a well-placed model like that, somewhere around the center, can pretty much hit all the opponents. And once it gets to a point where you need them to start failing courage tests, that's incredibly handy to have. We also have the less powerful version of that special rule in Harbringer of Evil. These ones are a little bit more common. Yep. Uh, in especially all the ring wraiths have these as well. Uh, some of the other models that have them, dragons, uh, Watcher in the Water, to name a couple of others. So our moderate to high monsters. And the nice thing about the, the Nazgul especially is that you can get a cheap one and get it in your army. So if you've got an army that's relying on courage to, to win you the game, a ring wraith's a good purchase. Very good purchase. Coming in at a budget of 55 points, you probably might want to give him a point of might. So 70 points for a Highbringer of Evil. That's really, really, really useful. 70 points, you're probably putting him on a horse as well at that point. Yeah. Yep. And then I've got, for the good side, we're not left out. So there is the war aspect for Gladrill. Now, is this two Gladrill models have this one now? Yeah, two have it. There's the Lady of Light and Protectress of Lothlorien. Both are very similar. I think the Lady of Light has just a bit more of an edge because it just provides a little bit more. But let's not rule out the Protectress form just yet. She has an Elven Blade, which is the normal one, does not. But... These two war aspect forms are so powerful. You look at the good armies that can run Terra as a, or any sort of courage shenanigans as a viable strategy, she suddenly becomes like a must-have. Yeah, and I like the the original one, the, what's it called again? The uh, war Protectress aspect? Protectress of Lothlorien. Oh, Protectress, because you can put Sentinels, which we'll talk about very soon, in with her warband. The the newer one is in the White Council, so she's on her own. I believe both are, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, both oh, are with brilliant. White Council. Even better. So... Oh, you can yeah. choose one, but there's only one that can lead the Sentinels, isn't it? Yeah, that's generic Galadriel. So you're probably using allied contingents here, yep. using basic, you know, captains and Caliborns and things like that to bring in the Sentinels into your list. Yep. And then bring in an allied contingent of White Council of, say, a Galadriel and a Kidan or something like that. So going into that, we want to talk specifically about the Sentinels, one of their effects, and they're going to pop up all throughout this episode because pretty much all they do is play around of Courage. They've yeah. got the Lay of Gondolin. What does that one do, Travis? It allows them to cause terror. And I'll be honest, out of their three songs that they can sing, it's probably the less powerful of the three, but it's still quite useful. There have been times where I have used it, and once you've synergized them with Galadriel, you can make a little terror block in your army, which can be very, very useful. It can be useful if you've got a certain area of the battlefield you need to bottleneck, and putting two Sentinels of Galadriel near them both causing terror, can really disrupt the enemy and force them to, to stuff up a bit. But we'll go into terror a bit later. I think that's the best name spell, though, they have, a best name song. So it's unfortunate mm. it's not particularly the, the most often used one. Uh, next one, we've got some effects. Drain Courage. Well, we'll go into the uh, effects of Courage now, what you can do on the table as opposed to in the army list selection, there's a few options here. Drain Courage is probably the biggest Courage spell in the game. It's so easily cast on a 2+, plus by the Wraiths, and being the primary spell of a Wraith, or maybe not the primary spell, but one of the major spells of a Wraith, so easy to get access to it. And the nice thing about it is you can stack it up at last for the whole game, so you can keep casting on the same character, reduce them from, say, Courage 5 to Courage 2, and then you're looking at them an uphill battle for them to pass a Courage test. Yeah, and there's nothing quite like seeing a Courage 2 Elendil walking across the table. Except if you're controlling that Courage 2 Elendil, then it's not <laughs> as fun, I can tell you that. Some of the other spells that you can use to improve your Courage is our Strength and Will. It's not a direct correlation, but... The will points being able to use, to be used to pass courage tests is really quite powerful. And I have seen, especially with Gandalf, 
armies, using them in uh, especially Gondor armies with, uh, say, a Denethor or something, you pop a Strength and Will off on one of your characters that has no will, and suddenly they can start passing some Kairish tests. Once again, I'm going to say, similar to the Lay of Gondolin, I don't see that one used a huge amount. There's some sometimes when it is, and sometimes you design your army list around them, but it's often not used for Courage tests. I see the ones who have Strength and Will often have better spells. Agreed. It's one of those things where if you've got every other spell off and you have nothing else better to do. Now, going on to another spell that the good side has, Aura of Command. Now, I actually really like this spell. It is extremely powerful, and all the characters that can get it are really, really useful. Yep. So, it gives you a six-inch bubble where anyone inside that on your force automatically passes their courage tests. Which includes heroes as well. So, you can start getting this daisy chain effect where you have two heroes within six inches of the original hero and you can suddenly blow out that sort of six-inch auto-pass courage test to like an 18-inch range. Yeah. So, what Travis means there, I'm going to translate here, is that (laughs) because... Each hero, we're going into this for break tests, but if you're broken, for example, they need to pass a courage test to stay on the board, their stand fast then includes others because they have passed the courage test. They did it automatically, but they actually took it and automatically passed it. So you get this bigger effect there. And is that one an exhaustion spell where you run out of will? It yeah, that's the tricky thing with Aura of Command is once you've ran out of will, the spell ends. So, on top of your opponent being able to kill you to get rid of the spell, they can exhaust your will stores. So, if you have enemy spellcasters on your opponent's side of the table, be weary because they can start throwing those spells at you and try to make you use your will. Yep. And the other one, of course, is the Fury for the evil side, which is the same effect except you get a little bonus saves if you can do that at times. Hmm. The main effect of Fury is the past courage. Yeah, I think that's something we really need to stress as well. Fury... From way back when, the main application of it was for that auto-pass courage test to to make the courage two goblins not run away, to sort of get that game out of it. Absolutely. Fury got sort of a bit nerfed in the newest edition of the rules when we went from uh, One Ring rules to Hobbit rules. Yeah, main reason is the exhaustion spells, like the Aura of Command, that you can... A lot of the things that causes terror have the ability to take will off you, so sap will comes to mind immediately. And that's a bit of a worry because you don't have a lot of will on any of the Fury casters. Yeah, three will max for any of the Shamans. I think Druzhag has five, so you can keep it up at a little bit longer, but Druzhag has other redeeming qualities about it. Yeah, you want to be using that will for other things there. I'll just finish off the spells here, I believe. The Enraged Beast spell, we've got that. This one is probably my favorite of the sort of increasing your uh, courage through spells. The Enraged Beast increases the fight value, strength, attacks, and courage of your beast that you cast it on by three. Yes. So you can take a piddly Courage 2, Warg to Courage 5, or more impressively, a White Wide Chieftain to Courage 6. And this is incredibly useful because you've suddenly got a powerful model. So you've got that Army of the Dead model that's causing terror. Anything like that, you want to charge it enrage up a beast and then throw them into it and suddenly they're disrupting the lines big time and they're quite angry. Yeah, it's it's a very good trick to have up your sleeve. Yeah, definitely. Now, there's some other auto-pass courage things as well. We, I know that that one wasn't, but we talked about Fury and Aura of Command, so I just wanted to talk about a couple others there. Firstly, the banner of Arwen Evenstar is an interesting one. I think this banner, there needs to be more unique banners in the game just period. There's only sort of three of them at the moment, but the Banner of Arvind is probably the most powerful of all the unique banners. On top of it being a six-inch banner, all models within six inches of the banner or in range of the banner automatically pass courage test, and that that makes great company, and 
any of the armor armies extremely powerful. I think it's almost a guaranteed take taking Halbrad with that banner because it is just so damn good. It is. I wasn't convinced at the start of it. I thought it was a bit expensive, but it's not. It's really solid. Yeah. People say, oh yeah, it's only it's the same price as two banners. Why would you ever take it? The auto pass courage test. Like, yes, great company have courage five on the rangers, but the warriors of Arnor are courage two. Courage three isn't the best passing, like, what did we say, 58% for the Courage 3 there. That's exactly what we said. It, it is failable. Why take the risk when you can take the banner? Yeah, agreed there. Now, I also want to talk about individual models can have this wonderful upgrade called Bodyguard or Sworn Protector or Allies Until the End or whatever else they want to call it. This is probably one of the best special rules in the game because it means you pass your Courage tests as long as your nominated hero is alive. Yeah, I Bodyguard, I have said it once on this podcast, I am going to say it again. Bodyguard is the best special rule in the game, period. It is so powerful. It keeps you around at the end game. It always has an application in the game. You can never not go into a game where it can't be useful. And if you're playing against Bodyguard, find out who the hero that their Bodyguard is and go attack that hero because that's huge to be able to suddenly make these courage insane troops mortal again. Yes, but the the really tough thing is is you get to pick which hero they have to go after. You can say make it a Mary or a Pippin with an Elven Cloak sitting at the back of the board going, waving their hands going, you can't see me. Who's bodyguarding Mary? Come on, he's but a But more hobbit. importantly, you can put it on big heroes such as an Aemi, a Knight of the Palinor, or a Durin, or a Boromir, a Captain of the White Tower, who now aren't very easy characters to just walk up to and kill. I mean, you're talking about a serious, serious in-game strategy to take them down they're, they're 170 points plus yeah How it's, do you it's take, a lot of work so it's, it's, i agree yeah you got to put in some work to get rid of those heroes yep and then we have once again the sentinels and i like the sentinels because all their powers are songs so oh, there was one other model actually just quickly it. that we did forget that do make you auto pass courage test and that is tom bombadil and goldberry and i find them quite interesting They've recently been able brought back into the game as independent characters. They've got a double their points now, so they're 160 for Tom and 140 for Goldberry. But they're very, very useful because they have an auto-pass courage on them. Aside from Tom's also effective auto-winning combats and stuff, that's a discussion for another time. But they can be really annoying because they're an auto-pass courage that doesn't go away. There's no way to remove it. You can't kill them. You, you can't charge and push them away. And they have other uses as well in fixing up stats. So they are quite powerful models. Just the reliability to know they're always there. They're always where you want them to be. They're not doing anything except supporting you and holding up space and helping your courage and doing amazing things. Mm. Yep. Then we have, because I can't talk about Sentinels just yet, and I really want to, the Fellowship's got a special rule about courage, doesn't it, Travis? Ah, yes. Whilst Frodo is alive, all Fellowship models in that warband automatically pass breakpoints. Yep, so that's a really handy one. I don't see Fellowship on the table very often, but I think it could be pretty no, good. It is quite handy, though, if you're doing um, sort of like tech Fellowship lists. In particular, the one I'm thinking of is the Sam, Frodo, and Smeagol warband of three models. They're quite useful. I've used that a couple of times in a Faramir list. Yeah, that's a nice little warband. And to have uh, Sam walking around when you break points, gone, and Smeagol even, too, going, we got auto-pass standfasts. Yep. Come yeah, definitely me. for those models especially. For the big ones, not as big an issue, but pretty good anyway. Then we have, now I'm going to talk about the Sentinel because there's two songs here, and Travis cut me off just before. <laughs> First one is the Auto Pass Courage one. It's called 
the him of Albareth, and that means a sentinel can move and then say, Oi, you, pass your courage test. Now, I love my Wood Elf army. It's probably one of my favorite armies to play. Avoidance, high shenanigans, all these fun little things. And this is one of the things that make my opponent rage. When you have a sentinel at the back of the board, pass the courage test, and then do the daisy chain. You make the next sentinel pass the courage test, then the next sentinel pass the courage test. And at the very end of the line, Thrandall's going, Hi guys, I've ordered past my courage test. really... Really effective way of making sure you pass those courage chests that you need to, especially in the end game. Now, the Sentinels have one more song before we move on for them, because they are the star of this episode, I believe. It's called the Aldemar Madrigal. Now, this one's a little bit tricky. Basically, you nominate a model within range of you when you move and say, you pass a courage test. And if they pass it, you say, okay, fine, you passed your Aldemar Madrigal for the turn. But if they fail it, you get to move them. Yeah, and I think we probably can sort of bring this up with Spectres as well, who have a very, very similar special rule, in fact, almost copy and pasted, called A Fell Light is in them, which, yeah, as Jeremy said, if you fail the courage test within 12 inches of one of these models, you have to move, and you get controlled by your opponent, and that is incredibly frustrating. So what you can do is target a banner bearer and make them go run away outside the banner effects. You could move a model towards you and charge your enemy into it. People love targeting trolls with this. Wood Elf singing it, a troll lulling it into a false sense of security and it goes wandering off on the battlefield or comes forward and lets your hero take it out with an elven blade. Yeah, and the applications of this are so, 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 so many. And it's very, very hard to, to stop someone who's got multiple fell lights or multiple sentinels in their army moving your stuff around and that's the thing it can be used defensively it can be used offensively and it can just be used to disrupt and learning how to stop these characters and these models doing this to you is extremely extremely important yeah and my recommendation for that if you're going up against the fell light or the Eldermar madrigal is if you've got a banner or something valuable you think they're going to target put a ring of three models around them, touching them in base contact. Then at least they have to make the first of all, the model that's holding them off fail that pass that. And if they pass their courage test, they don't have to worry about that again. So you've got some defense there against the moving your banner away or throwing a guy forward. They're going to be able to move someone. So you can't do anything. But if you have your generic troops that you don't mind being moved on the outside and your valuable stuff on the inside of a circle, you're pretty safe there. On that as well, target the stuff that's making your stuff move around. A bit hard for Sentinels because they got Elven Cloaks and they're a bit hard to get into, but the Spectres, for one, shoot them, throw some spells at them, get into combat with them, kill them so that they can't move your stuff around. They can't use the rule if they're not on the table to use it. Yeah, and Sentinels, as far as spirits go, they're not particularly hard to get rid of. Now, we're going to move on from the ways we can move a carriage around, up and down, to break tests. And this is another big topic. Once you have been broken. So half your models plus one have been killed from your starting number. You're forced to take break tests before you move. If you fail these break tests, you disappear off the battlefield. You're gone. So it's massive, massive importance to pass these courage tests. So we're going to talk about those. First of all, Travis, can you talk about Standfast? Standfast is a very core part of this game. It's what makes heroes... It's why you need heroes in your army, to be honest. Every hero in the game, bar a couple of exceptions, have a standfast. And what that means is if they pass a courage test for their force being broken, all friendly warriors within six inches of them that can see them automatically pass their courage test for being broken as well. That can see them. I'm trying to think of some sneaky ways of doing this. Normally, um, 
the way I've seen it is people put their, they take their courage test, they're behind a wall, Boromir's yelling out, yes, we'll all do it, and the poor guy, men of Gondor on the other side of the wall can't see him, so they fail theirs. So make sure you've got line of sight. The nice thing is you do your hero first, and then you move him. So you can move him to a place where he's going to get the most value, because the other warriors take it at the start of their move. So it's where the hero is from their move. Yes, so if you have Boromir, who's, say, 11 inches away from your generic warriors of Gondor, you can move, take the courage test with Boromir, move him in range of the warriors, and then have the warriors move after Boromir. So what you generally have happen is if you're saying retreating, Boromir's at the the front of the line going, taking the courage test, moving forward a bit, then telling the guys to, come on, guys, get away. And the important part about this is don't just take Boromir, pass your courage test and say, okay, everyone within six inches in pass and then move him. It doesn't work that way. You have to take it at the start of each model's move. So that model technically needs to do a model's eye view to see if they can see the model. If they can do that and they're within six inches, they're past, or 12 inches if they've got an extended range. Now, Travis, I'm not sure about this. I'm going to spring this on you right now. Oh, what, happens, what happens if you've got extended range? So a 12-inch model there with the elven cloak on there. Is there any of those? And then... Um, Firstly, I'm not sure if there is a model that has a 12-inch standfast in a range, but I believe if you have an elven cloak and you have a 12-inch standfast, they have to be within six because if they cannot see you from outside that sort of six-inch range between six and 12, they cannot they cannot use, your stand use their standfast because they can't see you because you've got the elven cloak. So you need to be in the clear, which is sort of... Yeah, which here. is defeating the purpose. Stretching my memory, I think there is one model that can do it and it's Gandalf the White. I believe he can take an elven cloak. The Gandalf, the, oh yes, because he's got yes. Oh, brilliant! I'm gonna, so if you have Gandalf the White and your shiny Minas Tirith army with an elven cloak and he's on foot at the moment, you better make sure you're within six inches or have a clear line of sight to him. Otherwise, that elven cloak's going to bugger you up. Yeah, watch out, anyone who's taking Gandalf the White on elven cloak against with elven cloak <laughs> against me next time. I'm going to get you on the standfast as well. There are some uh, models in the game that don't provide standfast or have a unique addition to their standfast. The first one I'd like to point out is the Castellans of Dogledore. They don't have Standfast, which can be quite annoying. So you need to watch out for that. But more importantly, I'd like to talk about the characters that Standfast only affects certain units. So by this, I'm talking about the King of the Dead, the Wag Chieftain, Paladin Took, Gwahir, Garm Buri Garm, and Bill the Pony. That's quite an extensive list. Basically, these guys only provide Standfast to their race or people the same characteristics so the king of the dead only helps out army of the dead the wag chieftain only helps out wags and at first glance i was chatting to travis about this before actually and i was talking about how much of a negative it was because you couldn't help out your other warriors your wag chieftain passes his courage test he says yeah let's go starts barking orders at the dogs and the bats fly away because they're not going to pass the courage test or the goblins run away but travis has an interesting take on this yeah, I do. This one I came, I found out when I had the Garnbury Garn version of this. Now, Garnbury Garn's in the Wanderers of the Wildlist, so you can take Ents with him. Now, the reason why this is important is you can take the Courage Test with Garn, or call it a heroic move with Garn, and push everything forward. Pin the heroes that you need to pin for their standfast and stuff. Then your opponent has to move, which allows you to react with your Eagles or Ents that are currently in your army list as well, and have them fly over after they've seen where your opponent's moved. So a bit of a combo between this rule and the sort of movement point of view and heroic moves or anything like that, but it's a really nice addition there. And I, I was surprised about this one because I didn't see it didn't see it as the option there, but I actually there's a lot of possibilities there to use it to your advantage. So it just goes to show that even if a rule has a negative, try and turn it away to your advantage. Mm. 
the next one I wanted to talk about is the Rohan Outriders. And these are favorite models of mine. They used to have a rule where they got points of might if they were, well, they were, they were a hero. But the, the way you used them was to combo them with gambling, not gambling that people keep writing it as, gambling. <laughs> but now they actually feel like Outriders. They've got a special rule where if they can see a hero that's passed their standfast test at any range, they get to pass their courage test, which is very useful because it means they can outride. Yeah, Vanguard special rule is what it's called and it is really useful now. I think it made Outriders actually think better because it means they can hold objectives from really, really far away. And it also means that you always have that safety net so long as you have a hero on there. And Rohan has good courage. Courage So you've got the combo of bodyguard on some troops and the vanguard on other troops means that even if they kill off your Mary that you're bodyguarding or whatever, (laughs) then the the vanguard still works on other heroes. So it doubles your effectiveness there and it's very useful. Agreed. The other models that we, I think we should need to get into about breakpoints are the models that, well, let's put it nicely, they sack other models to make their breakpoints, sorry, their break tests auto-pass. And by this, I am talking about Ugluk from the Isengard list and Yazneg from the Hunter Orc list. These two have a very unique interaction. Ugluk's is if he's in base contact with an enemy Uruk at the start of his turn, he can chop off that Uruk, remove him as a casualty, and automatically pass his courage test at 12 inches, which is really, really, really powerful. The other one is Yazneg, and this one is really cool. If Azog is in base contact with Yazneg and your army is broken, Azog can turn around and go, you have failed me, Yazneg, for the last time, cut off his head, and then Azog automatically passes his courage test, and it increases to 12 inches, which is huge. I really love these ones from the theme point of view as well. There's nothing more pleasurable in game to be up against the ropes, your hunter orcs, uh, a failing courage test left, right, and center. You're in a lot of trouble. Then Azog picks up the head of Yazneg, holds it up to everyone, and says, Follow me! And then they all keep going with them. It's really well rewarding. Yeah, the other part of that special rule with Yazneg as well is you also get to re roll your courage test. So if auto passing a Sandfast was not good enough, you get re rolls on every other hunter orc in your army as well, which. For Hunter Orcs, it being at Courage 2, Courage 3, if you have a Warhorn, is really, really useful. Definitely. I like these rules there. And that brings me on to our next monster, which is the Mumak. Ah, the Mumak. How I loathe and hate thee. Loathe and hate at the same time. Nice. The Mumak is brilliant (laughs) because not only it passes Courage Tests, but any models in the Howder pass Courage Tests. So it's Driver and any other Haradrim or any other types that are in there. Brilliant. So you know they're not going to pass your break test. Well, they're in a Mumak, for Christ's sake. Why would they run away from the battlefield? And this makes them really, really nasty. It means you have to deal with the Mumak at some point. And a Mumak can be quite daunting to go take on. Ten wounds, trample, all those fun things there. And I've been working on lists at the moment where I've basically got just enough models where I can't be broken, even if you kill every model on foot. So you basically have the Mumak with some blokes up the top and then some riders down the bottom. (laughs) I think David did a similar list in our our Harrod episode. Yes, he did. And you yeah. have to deal with the Mumak because the other guys aren't going to run away. Terrifying. Yep. Uh, there's not much else we can really say about the Mumak other than beware the shooting from that thing. And yeah. So we're encouraged. So we, we, yeah. we can talk a long time about the Mumak and we will at some point. <laughs> the last guys for this, for break tests, I want to talk about. One of them's my favorite. One of them, not so much. My favorite one, Lobelia the Hobbit. 
and the tainted is and the, the other one. I a, quite like the tainted. He's, he's he's a personal favorite of mine. I actually, as out of the name race, I think it has the best model. It sort of looks very droopy. Yeah, he, he probably evil. looks like that uh, Rafe from the moment in the Fellowship of the Ring where the hobbits are trying to hide underneath the tree, and he's sort of hulking over. He looks like him. He also reminds you when they go into Bree. He's got that very. It's, the posture is really yeah. solid. But anyway, Lobelia <laughs> and the Tainted have the ability to make sure that no one is allowed to use a stand fast within six inches. No one. No one. So heroes, warriors, no one within six inches may use a stand fast. The Tainted also has a little bit of an extra boost where people can't use heroic moves within six of him. But let's be honest, it's the stand fast one that's a big one. They used to call it the Lobelia bomb or the Tainted bomb where you break your opponent's army and throw them into the middle of their army. And it... it it does decimate armies because you've got the neg ones there from the tainted, or if you're running Lobelia, you're a good army into an evil army, so you got that bonus there. And taking mass courage tests at two or three is really nasty. I had a game at one of the Arcanicon tournaments where I had drawn a mortar army towards my Hobbit army and I shot it out and it was under a lot of uh, it had a lot of damage. There were still things like a mortar troll and got um not Gothmog. The Urukai leader, Shagrat, Shagrat war leader coming at me. Lots of powerful stuff. And I had drawn them towards this weak looking flank with Fatty Bulger, which I talked about on an episode about how useful Fatty Bulger is. Fatty Bulger, um, Paladin's Warband, and just edging towards it was Lobelia. So I drew the mortar, the majority of the mortar infantry towards this flank. And then at the point where it had broken, and it had pretty much wiped out my flank, although I think Fatty was still alive, waving his arms wildly, <laughs> Lobelia just crept forward. I didn't have any heroes around that flank. Then about half of them disappeared, and the poor Blackguard captain, who had great courage because of ring rapes, although I can't remember if the ring rapes around then or not, but the black poor Blackguard captain watched all his Blackguard heavily armoured shield wall troops run away because this woman, Hobbit woman, waving an umbrella with shoes for some reason. I don't know why she has shoes on the model. Hobbit shouldn't have shoes. But she's waving an umbrella around and forcing them not to pass their courage tests. Ah, Labilia. You're a pain in the ass. I remember that game crystally, and I remember the look on your opponent's face in that game of, oh my god, I just lost a black guard to a hobbit. Sorry about that, Michael. Yeah, that was uh, that was a beautiful moment. The one other thing I will mention about the Stampfast is there's two models in the game that have a very unique Stampfast in Saruman the Wise and the White and Azog, where their Stampfast affects other heroes normally. A standfast doesn't affect other heroes, but these two, they get a little bit of a boost in their special rules where they can affect other heroes, and this is really, really powerful and something you need to be weary of because it can, as I said before, daisy chain and just make everything in the opposing army pass. Okay, so tactics for standfast. Ideally, if you're the owner of the standfast and you're taking break tests, which you don't want to be, but sometimes you're going to have to, you want your heroes to take that test, pass it, and keep your warriors around. Your enemy wants to stop that. The best way to stop it is to charge the model before they have a chance to do that. And this is what you see a lot of uh, players do is call the heroic actions at at the start of a turn when both forces have been broken to pin the heroes on the opposing side from causing, for calling those standfast because they're a pain in the ass. And again, back to the uh, paladin warg chieftain stuff. The Warg Chieftain calling a heroic move and just moving the Wargs and the Warg Chieftain into the opposing heroes to pin them and then letting your opponent take the courage test and then moving your goblins in with the Fury can be really, really powerful. And it's something you need to be weary of and plan for. 
absolutely. This is the end game stage is really, really important. We can't stress enough how important it is to set yourself up if you think you're going to take that break test. Make sure you guys are near the heroes. The warriors are around heroes. Your heroes are spread out evenly. Make sure that the enemy can't get an easy charge on your heroes. Make sure your warhorn's still around. Make sure you've got your banner of the even star or whatever else, your spells, your sentinels all around so you can pass these courage tests because if your force starts disappearing because of break tests, you're probably going to lose the game most times. Yeah, and don't get disheartened once you've gotten to break points as well. I've seen a lot of people, when their army gets broken, they start to give up, they start to play sloppy. The end game is still a part of the game and is a very important part of the game. Just like any game, you've got your early, your mid, and your late. Your late is something you shouldn't drop off on. It's something you need to work on and it's something you need to pay attention to. And I've won so many games, especially with my dwarves, I remember, where I've been broken first, I've been in a lot of trouble, and I've just sort of castled up a little bit, made sure my heroes are uh, keeping my warriors alive, and just waited out, and eventually you get the break on your opponent, and then it's game on. So stay in there, hang in there, use the stand fast to your advantage whenever possible. And also look at the objectives for missions as well to see if breaking is a is a, is a something that you need to look at, and if it's something you need to prevent for yourself. I know in a lot of the current scenarios, breaking your opponent without being broken is a big thing, so factor that in. How are you going to do that? plan ahead, work out how you're going to get rid of stand fast, or how you're going to keep your own alive. Not only that, there's a lot of games that end at 25%, so making sure that you control when that happens, using stand fast where appropriately to keep guys on the board, not using it to fail it. If you want to end the game, don't be afraid to take the courage test with your warriors first, then the heroes, because there's no stand fast if the hero hasn't taken the courage test. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this in Might, Will and Fate too. Using your Might, Will and Fate to fail stand fast and make guys run off the table. There's heaps of options here to control the late part of the game with courage and look into it. It's it's part of the game and you need to you need to factor that in. Next up, terror. Terror is a big part of the game. It's the use of courage before break tests. It's one where it basically provides a defensive ability where if a model wants to charge you, they have to pass a courage test to charge you. They have to do that to enter combat. Spearmen don't because spearmen aren't entering combat, but models want to get into base-to-base contact with you, they must pass their courage test. And this can be a bit of a nightmare when you're up against, say, an army of the dead or a black Numenorean army where you're passing lots and lots of courage tests to even enter combat. Yeah, we usually call it terror walls or terror shields uh, because it stops you from getting into combat. And this is why I tell a lot of players to factor in terror into their army, factor in how they're going to bypass terror. And there's heaps of ways to do it. You've got blatantly high courage just to ignorantly go through it. You've got your auto pass courages, which we talked about earlier. But there are other ways as well. Force your opponent to charge you. You don't have to charge them all the time. If you've got archers, use them. Set your archers up and go, I'm going to shoot you if you don't charge me. I played a recent game where I had, it was a small game, but it was with Gundabad Orcs. I was using that and a Castellan, which is very useful, against a pure army of the dead force. I had no archery. He had no archery. I was a bit worried because Army of the Dead will go through later, have an ability that really would make a mess of me. But what I was doing is not charging ever. So never engage them. If they don't want to engage me, don't bother. Now then always hang around with maybe one or two models about five and a half inches away. So then if the Army of the Dead player got priority, they could charge me if they wanted to. But they couldn't charge you with many, many guys. So only give them a couple charges. Then I would put a couple Gundabad Orcs around the back a millimeter away to equal distance away from the one that's charged. And then I've got a one model trap. 
So I've got one model in there. Now that also leaves me gaps for three more models to get in. So I put my spearman behind the one that's already been charged, and then I start taking courage tests to charge more models in. And I'm really mitigating that terror, because even if I fail every single courage test, I'm still rolling two dice against the army of the dead one, and I'm still getting traps against it. So don't be afraid. If the enemy's got terror, just never charge them. Don't bother about it. And there's no there's no disadvantage for, for having a terror model charge you. So they don't actually want to do that. The players with terror don't want to charge you. Try and force them to. Exactly right. Force them to charge you. So use your spearmen as well. Spearmen have the great ability of not having to take a courage test. So let them charge your front rank and then run in with your spearmen to, to back up them. And you can, quite a lot of the time, the stuff with terror and a lot of the big stuff with terror shields and walls, they don't have spears. So you can use that to your advantage. You can force the terror stuff to charge you and then go spear supporting and then take a couple within. The other one I'd like to mention as well, if you want to try and get through a terror wall, is Compel. Compel allows you to move an opposing model half speed, but you're also allowed to make that model charge. And the amount of times I've used a Ringwraith army or Gandalf in a Hobbit army or Saruman in an Isengard army to compel an enemy model into me, and then I don't have to take the courage test because they've charged me. Yep, and no adv- no disadvantage again for being charged by a terror-causing model. It's just fine. Another tactic I like to use is I get all the heroes in my force, and I just say, right, heroes have the best courage. Let's send them at the terror wall. Don't worry about troops. Troops can use spears. They can basically form a little wall slightly behind my heroes just to guard the flanks, but I just throw three or four heroes each next to each other at the line and hope that I kill one or two of them a turn, and that's all I need to do. Probably not going to get through my heroes if I've got banner support, and then just mitigate that way. And then it forces them to charge you because they get into a panic. I'm only fighting heroes. I need to charge. They'll charge the rest of my wall, which is backed up by spears, and they're in a bit of trouble there. I definitely agree with that one as well. I remember a game I played against Tin and on this podcast as well. He had 12 Black Numenorians in his army. And I'm looking, I've only got, and he had a Wraith behind them as well, so I had Neg One Courage. I was playing Numenor with a Lendor and a Sildor and a Captain. And I'm looking at it going, I can't fight these Black Numenorians. I'm not going to be able to charge them. So I threw a Lendor in and I threw a Captain in. Both of them called her at combats, killed the two models they were in combat with, and then because I've already passed a courage test for that turn for charging, I don't need to take a second one for my second charge off the heroic combat. Moved into another two Black Numenorians, killed another two, and just removed eight of his 12 Black Numenorians in a single round of combat. And then Tienan looked at it and go, I have no backbone. I have no terror shield. Now my Orc Spear supports in that army have nothing to spear support. They're now fighting the three, some of the scariest heroes in the game one-on-one. Brilliant. Now, there is a couple models in the game that I just thought about that can actually get a bonus for charging models. It's just the bonus to the charge to actually roll it. It's the Clansmen of Lamadon, I think it is. No. No? It's the Clansmen have already insane courage, so they're not worrisome there. It is Kyrion with the boldest of the bolts. Oh, yes. Yep. Which Sorry, my mistake. Which gives plus two courage to charge. And the Watchers, and the of, watchers of Kana, which yep. get plus two courage to charge with their Stelly nerve. Yeah, the Steely. Steely? Steely? What? I don't know. Don't it's it's me. Okay, I'm we, not we great both make with... mistakes. I get the wrong profiles. <laughs> we get the wrong word. Not a problem. Yep. So those guys are very helpful for charging terror causing models. The watches are great because they come with a lot of offensive power there with the two yeah, attacks. Bows, two attacks, resistant to magic. They've got it all really. And Kyrion, the hero thing is great. To just throw a hero into that. So they, they almost tell you what they're supposed to be doing. Mm, that they do. Now we're going for the oddball cases. So we've got quite a few things that didn't fit into our category so far. 
First one is the demo teams. Demo teams got a special courage rule. Yeah, they to detonate a demolition charge, you have to take a courage test with a Urukai with a flaming brand or any Urukai really. Yeah, because they can all they can all attempt to detonate it, but it's hard if you don't have the flaming brand. You really want the flaming brand because it automatically detonates it. But you need to take a courage test, and the reason why this is important is because Urukai are only courage four. Ah, uh, sorry, three. Four if you have a horn. They're not really good at doing it. You really want that Berserk with the Flaming Brand to do it. Because the Kari 7, almost a guaranteed pass. 97% chance there. Don't put the risk on your demo charge. Not bowing up on a regular guy. Yep. Did it? Did he have a Courage 8 at one point in the game? He did, and it got nerfed back down to Courage 7 because they realized that 8 was too stupid. Yes, yeah, to automatically pass it. You might as well have a rule for it instead of doing that. And yet they brought out Urkenbrand in the same edition. <laughs> I, 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 okay, I wasn't on the Urkenbrand episode and there was a reason for that. I really dislike that change. Anyway, next one we have is the Courage or Die type models where if you, at some point in the game, you need to pass a Courage test with them. If you don't, you're removed as a casualty. My favorite of these is the Master of Lake Town. The Master... <laughs> He's a little funny. I thought it was just straight up removed until I was pointed out to me that, no, it's actually a Kairos test, and this can make some really weird shenanigans happen. Basically, your opponent gets to choose a model at the start of the game for them to have a large sum of gold that the Master of Laytown particularly wants. Yep. Now, for me, from a theme point of view, it has to be the Golden King of Africa, <laughs> and he has to have the gold. Or if by chance Smaug is on the table, Smaug as well, I think, is another Oh, that's nice, a brilliant one. <laughs> nice one. It's called the Dragon Sisters. Um, if the Master of Late Town starts, sorry, ends the move phase in base contact with the model that has the large sum of money, he has to take a courage test. If he fails the courage test, he's immediately removed from the table. I've got a master I'm going to use in a Lake Town army very soon. What I'm going to do is model a little sack of gold that I can hang around that model <laughs> just to remind me because I'm going to forget and then I'm going to charge <laughs> it by accident and I'm going to remove it. So that's going to help me remind it. But I like that rule. It's not great for the person using the master, but you can use it for a bit of a bait at times to force them to try and charge yeah. him. Uh, I think it's worth the risk at times. It's a bit of, bit of a dangerous one there. Now, the next models that have these, there's the... Uh, the Shelob and the Dragon have one where they take a wound and they have to pass a courage test. Yeah, survival instinct. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say it straight up here. They got such a big buff out of the new rules. Basically, if they ever take a wound, they have to take a courage test. If they pass that courage test, all is fine. If they fail, however, they immediately are removed from the game as a casualty. Now, you used to have to take multiple courage tests every time you took a wound, but that well, is not... you took the... one each wound. So yeah. if you got wounded three times in the same phase, say shooting or for combat, you took three tests. However, with the new courage rules, if you pass a courage test, you automatically pass any courage test of the same type for the remainder of the turn. So once again, Shelob got buffed. Again, she's every edition of the game, she's got an improvement. This is ridiculous. First of all, she gets the will to use as courage points. So once again, that rule's not a problem like that. Use the will away. Then she gets all the monster special strikes. Then, then she got war horns. Yeah, that's right. All that sort of buff. <laughs> then spear supports can go behind her and throw a spear up her bum and away she goes. Then you get to be able to only pass it once a turn. So if I sit there with Tara and lots of wood elves and I trap Shelob and do five wounds to her in the turn, she only has to take one test and she's got six will. That's ridiculous and unfair to me. 
Well, no, she does take five tests. It's just after the first one, she automatically passed the second, third, fourth, With and six fifth. Well, she's passing the first one. Oh, yeah. At least one or two of them, you're pretty much guaranteed to pass them. And it's really, really nasty. It made dragons a lot more safe now, too. You're not likely to lose a dragon on five wounds or four wounds like you normally used to have happened with his Courage 4. Yeah, he has three might and three will, so similar thing there. They're just so worth it now, I think, with that addition. And to be honest, I'd like to see the old special rule come back where they have to take one for each wound. But Now, the way you fight against this, use this to your advantage. Try and drain the stats. You need to somehow get rid of the will of Shelob or the might and the will of the dragon. Then you have a good chance of this going off. Yeah, also get rid of any horns on the table that could be buffing them as well. Spells, throwing just spells at them in general is a really good way of dealing with this. Yeah. And we Just talk about pressure. negating courage. You've got to you've got to try and go at them with negating courage because these models are hard to wound and you want them to run away ideally because it's demoralizing for your opponent. Mm. On the courage test, or I'm not sure if it's a courage test or die, but it's very, very close to a courage test or die, the Mumak Stampedes. The Mumak Stampedes? What, what's this one do again? Whenever the Mumak is wounded... He has to take a, the commander has to take a courage test. If the test is fail, the Mumak will be moved by your opponent the next turn, which means they can trample over your own army, which is really nasty. But as we said before, once again they got to boost the courage rule like Sheedlob, so they only have to take the one test and pass it. Yeah, I've got one there as well. The catapults, the mortal catapult, you can get an upgrade called Severed Heads. So you put a whole bunch of Gondor heads in the catapult, launch them at your opponent, and then if you hit them, isn't it they take a courage test or they just disappear? Well, it's actually twofold. They take a strength three hit for one, so even if you don't get the other special rule off, it's oh, still quite useful. I don't care useful. about that. I care about the courage rule. The for this courage episode. rule is really, really powerful. It means they have to take basically a courage test like a break point. If they fail the courage test, they are immediately moved, removed from the table as if they failed a break test. Yep. which Powerful. is really frustrating. Especially Once again, combine it with all the stuff. Have a ring wraith nearby. Have a troll on there. You can fight two of them a turn. Yep. Nasty, nasty thing. Nasty piece of work there. Great way to get people off walls. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Throw some heads at them. Watch them run away. Where do you run? I don't know. Dismounting wags. This is one that used to be debated a lot, but basically if a model... A wag rider or a hunter orc riding a wag is removed, so it either dismounts or it's killed. The wag takes the courage test using the wag's courage. If it's if it passes, you get a wag model. If it fails, no good. Yeah, it's like a uh, little pick me up for the wags. Very useful, especially if you're horn in the army. Courage two, you're not getting it often, but when it does happen and pop up, hey, you get a free model. Yeah, and I do this quite a bit with my hunter orcs because the hunter orcs get a special win on the ground when they get an extra attack. So quite often, if it's up close and personal, I don't have a lot of might points left maybe, I'll dismount my Hunter Orcs, take up less space, and then hopefully have some Wags to go run away and capture objectives or reconnoiter or go get to traps or anything else like that where the Wag rider itself is standing there fighting. One thing I will mention as well, Radagast Riding Eagle and Azog and White Wag, their mounts automatically pass that test as well, so keep that in mind. That's really important. I've used Azog's White Wag, and we're going to go over Azog in another episode soon. But the White Wag to automatically pass Courage Test is amazing. One other thing I might mention with this as well, it is on all warrior, uh, all cavalry models that take the test, have to take the test. However, the only ones that really get to use it are the Wogs. 
The other ones that could have theoretically used it would have been the Fell Beast, but they have a special rule saying they automatically fail the test to yep. fly off the table. So yeah, yeah. So keep you don't get your Fell Beast without a rider. That's fair enough. That's it's, a, yeah, it's fair enough. Thing. And the other one is horses, but yeah, don't get unless it. the scenario states you have loose mounts, you have to unfortunately remove the cavalry model. We talked about Army of the Dead quite a bit in this episode. The Blades of the Dead, this is one where it actually helps your offensive power. Yeah. Now, Blades of the Dead isn't just on Army of the Dead. It's also on Spectres and the Shade, I believe. Did it used to be on Spectres? No, they got it in the most recent Warband thing. Wow, that's they a huge it. upgrade. Because yeah. what it allows you to do is you roll defense against their courage. Always against courage? or Always you, against courage. Always you against do courage. not get a choice. And courage is usually lower than defense, except in, in models like uh, Wood Elves, which is a bit annoying. But most of the time, you get a benefit of this. It means taking on monsters like trolls is really doable. Yeah, you look at Army of the Dead fighting a uh, mortal troll, a Moomark, and they're going, huh, forced to wound, where most other things in your army are looking at sixes. Very, very powerful to cleave through. However, they do have the added problem of going to high courage models such as elves for uh, Urukai Berserkers. Urukai Berserkers in particular. Those kind of models love going up against Blades of the Dead because they just they bounce off of them. Yeah, but I like the Wood Elves for it. It's, it's just funny to say, oh, you would be wounding me on a 4 plus, but now it's a 5 plus because I'm Courage 5. Yeah. One thing I will have to make mention of this is Auto Parts Courage Test don't have any effect on the Blades of the Dead. It's raw courage. That's Which is what why, you need here. Like fearless models and other models still have a courage value because you yes. still need to use it for this. Yep, and that is extremely important. Fearless models. There are a few models now in the new one that have the rule for fearless. We go into that, and that means they automatically pass courage tests. I don't think we mentioned it early on there, but I, Dwalin comes to mind. Yep, Dwalin, obviously the Mumak, which we went into earlier. Smaug has Smaug it as has well. It, yep. I believe one of the dwarfs has it. I think it's Thor. Thor or Thrain. Yeah, I think I, I'm not entirely sure about that, but there one are the fearless two. models, which is very useful. I think it's Thrall. It's Thrall. It's the one with the shield. Yep. Yeah, it's Thrall. Yep. Horn of Gondor, Boromir's rule. This has been around since the start, since the early days, and this was this has always been fantastic. I love this rule. Nothing like the old school. This is probably, I wouldn't say the best special rule for courage, but by God, it is the most iconic. So Boromir goes and he is engaging against two goblins or two Urukai scouts or something like that. And then they have to pass a courage test to even want to fight him. Otherwise, they automatically lose the fight. It can be the highest courage, though. And I know that we had a story once where y you managed to be uh, very clever about this one. I Travis. felt I, I might have to go into this story. This was back at a tournament over in Adelaide, and we had we were fighting against a Boromir captain of the White Tower there with the horn, and we needed to kill him because he was the leader. We had a cave drake in there, and we also had some bat swarms and goblins. And we looked at it, and I looked at the special room and went, crap, I can't make the goblins order past courage because they don't have the highest courage in the fight. The drake does, so I have to take a courage for a check. And... Boromir was trapped by a cave drake and a bat swarm and a goblin. And we're looking at it going, oh crap, this this could backfire on us. So I cleverly got our Gundabad orc, uh, sorry, our Gundabad goblin captain, called a heroic combat, moved him around the corner into combat with Boromir. The Gundabad captain has courage for. He took the courage test, auto-passed it with the fury, and then off went Boromir's head with the cave drake. So yeah, using the heroic action to move that guy into the combat and then be able to pass the horn roll was very useful there. 
But on the similar token, we have seen the Horn do really nasty things. I have two other scenarios as well where this has happened. In the Barlin's Tomb scenario, Boromir is particularly effective in this. You charge Boromir into the Cave Troll and one of the guy take a Courage Test. Oh, look, the Cave Troll failed his Courage Test. Immediately, Boromir can just lay into him with the three points, three attacks and the six points of might. And in, yeah, in the scenarios of the Fellowship, Cave Trolls are so threatening. So be able to do that. It's just really, really useful to have Boromir. And Boromir can do wounds to the cave troll pretty reliably with all that might and high strength. So definitely a good idea. Just as well, this rule applies for every combat he's in. So heroic combats, they'll have to take it again if you recharge. Yep. So one option that a lot of Boromir players like to do is charge in, either the Captain of the White Tower or regular Boromir, charge in, call the heroic combat, blow the horn. They automatically fail. You automatically get a wound. Blow to might the wound, and then you can go into something else. And I have seen this brilliant move, take down a shade, killed the two orcs in front, moved into a shade, and another orc. The orc, second orc, failed the courage test, bowled over, went the shade, and then Boromir goes in with the six points of might and the three attacks. And just oh, that's nice. Good I, I like stories that involve shades dying. That's, I really <laughs> appreciate that one. Next, we have one I mentioned earlier as well, up against the master, the golden king. More gold. Oh boy, this one probably has the biggest interaction for courage out of anything in the game there is so much going on here will my everything being thrown around courage tests galore the golden king special rule allows him to modify opponents courage tests for every point of will he spends he can modify an enemy's courage tests by one up or down either way it doesn't matter he can modify it by one and this can get tricky really really quickly yeah and now he has to spend it all at once doesn't he so you say you're going to modify it is there a range i believe it's 12 inches is his uh riches beyond renown special rule so say uh my i don't know boromir is trying to charge a terror causing mumak i go i pass i roll uh, average i just pass it the golden king can spend some points to lower that now then i can spend might to raise it Yes, and this is where we get into a bidding war. If both players wish to use might and will to modify their courage test, you have to bid it in secret. So you get this bluffing game. And I remember once I was playing against a Golden King and I managed to make him think I really needed to pass his courage test to take the ring off with a seal door. And the Golden King made him fail the check. The Golden King? Sorry, the Golden King made him fail the check by blowing through five points of will and I only spent... A single point of will. In I return. love these bluffing games because I'm I'm surprisingly good at them. <laughs> On the inverse as well, I have seen the Goblin King bluff his way to glory in this in this situation. Spending one will or two, making Aowen spend way more might and will than she needed to to pass a courage test, and the Goblin King just threw one gold at it, one gold, and then suddenly, boom! There came four points of will, and off went Aowen. It's a really good interaction. It's good fun there. It can blow up in your face, but it's quite a good one there. I really like that one. Then we have some models that it's a little bit of a negative. Denethor and Thrain the Broken have to pass a courage test to operate normally. Correct. Uh, A bit more lethal for Denethor than Thrain, I believe. If Denethor fails his courage test, he becomes an evil model for the turn, which can really bugger you up if you're not careful. I have seen Denethor kill his own banner because of this and it can get funny at times there's a reason why he often walks around with fountain court guard with shields because he off he turns around attacks them and they shield and just hope that none of them die yeah defense seven helps there thrain on a similar vein here if thrain fails his courage test 
to move normally on double ones. He turns into an evil model for the turn. If he fails it just, just standardly, it. he just stands there and just twiddles his thumbs and goes, oh, look at the pretty butterfly. And that's in the FAQ now. So that's, yes. that's a good one there. If he passes it, though, he gets stacked normally. If he passes on doubles, so double fours, double fives, double six, he becomes amazing. He becomes super thrain and he gets his basically his old stat line back. So he gets a plus two bonus to his fight, strength, and attacks. And it makes him a little bit of a combat beast as well. When he goes crazy and starts attacking everyone around him, I would strongly recommend the Warhorn here because he only goes crazy and insane and starts fighting really well for you if he rolls doubles and passes his courage test. So the Warhorn boosts him from courage three to four, which means you go crazy on double threes. I like this as part of a uh, Milkwood Ranger army because it's one, your cheapest model there. So it's great for, say, sitting on objectives or hanging around. A lot of times you don't mind him not moving because the enemy's coming towards you. Yep. And the Merkwood Rangers can have a Warhorn. So that's a good way to boost him up and use him there as a bit of a helpful model. I wouldn't rely on him, but he's a little 10-point throwaway. So he's he's good value for that. Uh, watch out because there is times when he'll just not move. So yeah. I've seen him eaten by bat swarms or uh, <laughs> it's just funny trying to, trying to get off the board and, and not happening at all. The Scribe. Goblin Scribe. New one here. Oh man, there has been so much controversy, list building, all these things with the scribe. The scribe has a special rule called more where that came from. At the start or during his move, sorry, he can take a courage test. For every point he passes his courage test by, he may move D3 plus the margin of success of new goblin warriors onto the table. So if he passes by three, he gets D3 plus three goblins yep. that move on. Any board edge. Any board edge comes on as a reinforcement, except in Reconorn, it has to come on from your table edge. And they don't modify your break point at all, but they give you extra bodies there. They're more bodies to kill, so you can get in trouble if you bring on some and get them killed off nice and quickly, but it's very powerful. And I know that people have talked about using goblin drums or other things to improve the courage. I'm not so sure that, that one extra goblin is worth it for that tactic only. Just the ability to do it, I think, is helpful. On yeah, time. I've looked at this as well and looked at the whole, you could ally in a goblin hero from Moria and bring in a goblin drum and then go to Mordor and then bring in an orc hero with a warhorn and a black Don't Minorian do that. That's a stupid list. To bring the courage of the goblin scribe up to five. I mean... It just becomes too much of a point sink at that point. It becomes 200 points to give a two courage to a goblin. I think if you really, really, really wanted to give spend a goblin... Spend 200 points on the goblins. Yeah, just spend 200 points on regular goblins. I think if there's any way you're going to boost the goblin scribe's courage, it's bringing in a drum because we've said it once, the plus one courage to everything across the table, minus one to everything across the table, the banner rerolls in particular, that's the only thing that you're really going to use for it in the Goblin Town army. And... It's the only thing you're really worth getting. And only even then, I'd only take it at big points level, like 800 for a Goblin Town army. Yep. And he's got the potential to get a lot. Because once you pass and say a double six, you get a huge amount of goblins. Yeah, you, you've passed that on a 15. So it's five plus D3. You can get up to eight goblins from free onto the table. That's getting really annoying for but the goblin. Goblin scribe's always got a target on his head, doesn't he? As soon as an archer comes around, they spot him. His little tiny body. Yeah, I have there. a great photo of the goblin scribe in a window, and I have two rangers, of, <laughs> rangers of Gondor in the foreground, and they take this brilliant crack shot with two in the way through the window, hits and kills the goblin scribe. Some really uh, fun interactions there. Nice. We're approaching the end. I've got. A few more that we're going to lump together. These are ones where courage interacts in a funny way with them. 
where either they take courage tests based on a certain effect or a certain model. So Gulivar, the terror of Arnor, his courage is always equal to his wounds. So when he loses wounds, his courage goes down. Yeah, this is can be a bit of a boon and a curse at the same time. Obviously, the curse, if he's down to one boon. wound, if he's down to one wound, he's only courage one. However, it does mean he's immune to drain courage because his courage is always equal to his wounds. So you cast drain courage, he goes, whatever, I'm still courage, whatever my wounds okay, are. Okay, look, I, I was, was going to disagree with the boon, but I guess that's a good reason. Plus, the courage could potentially go up once you take some wounds. So to be yep. able to go up from courage two back to four is really nice, especially late in the game. Hmm. Maggot and his dogs have a similar interaction. The Maggot's dogs always use Maggot's courage instead of their own. So it's handy having those little courage five dogs running around the table. And Maggot usually is in a hobbit army with some horns and stuff from Mary and things. So it's quite useful to have, you know, courage six or seven dogs sitting on objectives going, hi guys. That's really nice. I just imagine a, a Rinrafe player trying to drain courage the dogs. Grip, I'm going to drain your courage. And the Hobbit player going, yeah, go for it. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, I can't see that happening too often. That's up there with uh, Kim, uh, Transfix and Fatty Bulger. But if you want to do something strange with Rinrafe, go for it. Yeah. On that, though, the dogs are quite useful with their move eight and getting into some of the terrifying stuff and locking them up for a turn. They can get in behind and charge a Rafe and pin them for a turn, which is quite useful. The last model I'd like to talk about as well is Druzhag. Now, Druzhag not only has Enraged Beasts and Beastal Fury, but he also has Master of the Dark Wilds, which means wargs, bats, and spiders use his courage instead of their own. Wow. Range 12, but one of the big problems for wargs, bats, and spiders is their courage. And if you bring a Druzhag into the game with courage 4, stick a, stick a Warhorn or a Drum in there, courage 5, that makes those models ridiculous. Well, one of the problems, I've run bat swarms a little bit in some of my Dol Guldor armies and some of my goblin armies, and that's their biggest weakness is the low courage. Trying to charge often a terrifying elf that you want to try and lower their fight value doesn't happen. But to be able to use Druzag's courage, which is what, four? Four. That's pretty good. That's I'll the highest that. for goblins. Yeah, that's... Equal with uh, Durbers. Yep. I really like that one. Now... You said last model. I'm going to talk about an item now. The ring. The ring of power. Courage test for this ring if you want to take it off because you're just so infused with the power. You have to pass the courage test to remove it. Yeah. The ring is one of those items in the game that has been there since the beginning and is so iconic. Seeing Frodo in those scenarios where he needs to put the ring on to help you win games and stuff and then get it bug it up when he starts moving randomly or having Basildor betray him and go take a dive into some water as I know Jeremy you've had that happen to you please don't mention that that's embarrassing (laughs) even Gollum as well the new one to take the ring off requires you to take a courage test and that can bug you up because if once you get the ring on you can have it stay on now I'm a little bit confused about this one I know that both players at times want the ring to come off so the person owning the player, if they're far away from combat and there's no shooting around, you probably want to take the ring off to guarantee your movement and you don't spend resources passing that yeah. that role. The enemy might want to take it off so that they can shoot you with archers or so that they can charge without taking the terror test or without the modifiers there. 
I don't believe it's a terror test. I believe it's just a straight up courage test. And uh, sorry, courage test. Yeah. Yes, a courage test at, at the negatives for the inches now, isn't it? Yeah, it's minus one for every full inch you are away from the model. So if you're five inches, five and a half inches away from Frodo and he has the ring on, you take a courage test at minus five. To the, the roll or to the courage? Yes, this is the key thing. It's to your courage test, not to your courage value. So there is times where a model physically cannot pass a courage test to charge if they're too far oh, away. That's impressive. Okay, I've got onto that and I didn't even mean to ask that. What I want to know is, say I've got Frodo, um, I'm the evil player and he fails his ring so I get to control him for the turn and I want to take the ring off. Can I use his will to modify that courage test? I've got will or might? I'm actually not 100%. I believe the heroic stats are still in control of the controlling player. Okay. I'd have to double check it though. Yep. So we just checked up that rule and Travis, give us the ruling. The moving uh, model with the ring on says you can only control his movement. It's the move of that model. The stats are still in control of the controlling player. So Gollum, Frodo, Sildor... The player who controls it can still modify that courage test with the will and fate. And that's fair enough, because I know that if I was the evil player, and of course, as an evil player, being evil would mean, I'm going to take this courage test. Oh, I did pass it, but I'm going to spend all my will and all my might to pass it even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, I, it's it's a tricky one there, and it's a bit of a gray area, but I think always rule in favor of the Yeah, yeah. The no, the stats the are the, the person who owns the stats. The I fact, think that's fair enough. Yeah, the fact that you've rolled the one or the two to fail that roll as well is harsh enough. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to wrap this up now. We've been going for over an hour. This is a long episode for us. I can't believe yeah, you sat down. My legs are a bit sore. Yeah, I myself am surprised at just how much we got through in Curries. There's so much there. So and... much of Courage. And we're not even talking about scenario-specific rules and things like that where pe people automatically pass Courage tests. We didn't list all the models. There's a huge amount of Courage. Try and have a good think about it next time you play a game. Don't just think about the army list and how to maximize the courage. Think about what you can do with what you've got. So sometimes you're playing with courage too. What can you do to maximize that? What can you do to, to help out? What can you do to affect your opponent? And have a good time with courage. Yeah, and there's a reason why courage is now a very big stat in this game and why a lot of play players are looking at try trying to cover that weakness. And there's multiple ways of covering the weakness. Look at them. Look at them. Yep. So thank you very much for joining us today. And as always, remember, courage wins games. <laughs>